We are listening to She Will Be by Botney, a live band and home recording project of Texas-based Spencer Stevenson under the label Western Vinyl. His last album, End the Summertime Forever, released in September 2020, is an abstract ode to the relentless Texas heat, but also to climate change. Stevenson was inspired to name his band after his wanderings through Fort Worth's Botanical Garden in 2009. Botany is part abstract hip-hop and part sibient electronic music that combines chill-out and psychedelic elements, and like many psychedelic ambient bands, is named after botanical themes. So, do we inhabit nature the way we inhabit the space music creates? Is ambient music a great substitute for sounds of nature when we are urban bound? How do we translate patterns we see in plant growth to music beat? Today, we explore with our guest Spencer Stevenson this and many other subjects and also his compositions, which he hopes are an organic journey of comforts and challenging riffs to explore all the corners of our minds. We will listen to three tracks from his September 2020 album, End the Summertime Forever, and a new track from his upcoming September 2021 album. Welcome, Spencer. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Can you tell us about the band? How did you start it? And when did you start it? And uh, the inspiration for the name? I was spending a lot of time at the Botanic Gardens in the city that I grew up in, in Fort Worth. I really just kind of crudely picked it because the word was on my mind a lot. So when you are in the Botanical Garden, what aspect of the trees or the plants did you look at that would inspire the name of the band or your music? Well, I think... I was returning to that botanical garden a lot each day because I've been going there my entire life and I felt like there was kind of a connection to my childhood and my upbringing that uh, basking in a little bit of a nostalgic air a little bit. But I think um, I kind of realized in hindsight that I, I, I kept returning there because I was in the presence of almost a, a, a kind of divinity that people talk about whenever they spend a lot of time around plants and by Divinity, I think, I mean, uh, kind of like a non-personified uh, uh, sense of intelligence. And um, okay, so I, I don't really necessarily in my own outlook or my own life try to separate uh, the mundane from the divine. I, I don't think that way at all. I think that um, separating those two ideas is kind of absurd. There's a much richer communication between the human mind and the external world. Uh, when you when you don't differentiate between those two things uh, or mm -hmm. attempt to label one thing divine and one thing plain. By divine, I just mean uh, kind of a feeling of being around an intelligence that's not necessarily uh, recognizable to a kind of anthropocentric mind, if that makes sense. Yes. And, and I think, in fact, right now we're starting to recognize and we're starting to learn more and more about the intelligence of not just plants, but other species and how we can relate like you, exactly like you're saying not from an anthropomorphic point but from really accepting their other forms of intelligence no oh yeah absolutely absolutely and um it, i it it just it just strikes me as so uh 
arrogant to think that uh, we're the only things that possess any kind of agency or a sense of deliberation. Yeah, it's almost absurd when you really try to pick that apart. So your music is not necessarily musical portraits of plants, but instead they are a translation of uh, plant growth patterns to sounds, would you say? Yeah, I think botany just expresses this impulse or or pattern of the universe to... For Spencer, vein patterns on a leaf or the whorls of flowers or even the growth rings in trees aren't just efficient systems for growth and reproduction, but a form of nonverbal language. We make the mistake of, of thinking that uh, because we're linguistic beings, that uh, everything sort of starts and ends with language. And really, when you think about it, language feels like a recent development in, in terms of um, communication. And of course, that statement sounds obvious. We deal with the world on a constant basis in terms of language, forgetting that uh, it's a tool that has limitations. More of our communication has been happening for longer in nonverbal ways. Yeah, it, it just seems to me that um, we've probably been speaking in, in terms of what we now define as artistic or creative for a very long time. And just within that sphere, you're you're able to convey so much more without having to consciously highlight things. And it's primal and sophisticated all at the same time. And yeah. Down with not- language, up with beat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You use a lot of bits of dialogue. I do. Yeah. As much as I just tried to devalue or undermine uh, the use of language, I'm a, I'm an extremely linguistic person myself. Do they have a connective thread? They do, especially in terms of that album. Even though I make instrumental music, I think that it's important for albums and the album listening experience to be narrative in some way, even if it's mm-hmm. not explicitly narrative. A great way to do that is just through samples of actual dialogue. Um, I think maybe for some producers that might be a little too like ham-handed or obvious, but uh, I, I think it's just it's just a tried and true way to make instrumental music a little more personified. Ambient psychedelic or ambient bands use nature metaphors like plantra or sky trees or life forms. Why is that? I don't know. I think it gets back to to kind of what I mentioned earlier about the the cosmic tendency that uh, that plant life insinuates. I I thought of it at the time, or have have looked back on that time when I was spending all that time in the botanic gardens when I named my project botany. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've, I've sort of gotten away from plant met- metaphors altogether. I, you know, I do notice that uh, there are a lot of artists in my sphere that are kind of named after botanical things. I think at once upon a time, I, I viewed this elusive thing that I'm trying to talk about that I feel like plants encapsulate. Mm-hmm. I viewed it as a kind of pantheism. I think I've ref- refined that in hindsight to actually be a kind of Taoism expressive of the Tao. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think the difference is that uh, the thing I was speaking to earlier about the separation of divinity and and the mundane, which Mm -hmm. I think is an unnecessary separation in my own, for lack of a better word, spiritual outlook. I don't try to separate between the two and and actually try to find the the opposite in the other as often as I can. Just think that that's an enriching mental and spiritual practice to try to do that. Is essentially a meditation upon the facts of life and particularly on death. Stevenson's compositions are an electronic interpretation of the natural ambient, and I don't want to say a forest is an orchestra, because that implies everything is playing together. It is more like a room full of jazz musicians, with everyone doing their own riff at the same time. When I bike, walk, or even jog in nature, all senses are working in parallel. It is very synesthetic. There are sounds but also colors, smells, and textures. You feel the breeze, dryness or moisture in the air, insects buzzing, birds, the scents of oils in leaves and flowers. You hear the rhythm of your own breath and your own footsteps. 
Stevenson works with designers to express the moods of his albums in a combination of geometric and organic shapes and bold color blocks, just like the kinds of shapes we see with the corners of our eyes when we are moving fast in nature. Um, you mentioned the uh, influence of hip-hop, which has a very strong visual aspect. And I see that the covers of your albums are very graphic. Um, could you tell me about them? Yeah, yeah. I think that um, that over the course of my output, just, just as it is with the sound of my music itself, the album covers have kind of almost developed uh, a kind of like noticeable... Uh, through through line of mm -hmm. this uh, kind of like hard edged abstractionism, mm -hmm. and I've I've never really done any of the covers myself. I've always uh, I've always hired someone out to do them. It, it's been different across the whole discography, meaning I've I've hired different artists, but they've kind of arrived at the same thing. I guess probably through through my. Uh, guidance, you know. Because I am a little bit older than you, I remember, uh, for example, the breakdowns and, and the the 80s and the sort of the Memphis group aesthetic. Um, yeah, yeah. Do you think that whole era has some influence in these sort of very graphical, very um, synthesized images? I, I, yeah, I do. I don't think that any any uh, decades sort of aesthetic. Uh, like in the latter half of the 20th century. Mm -hmm. uh, it, I don't think one is one decade is more important to me than the other. I, mm -hmm. I have this kind of like uh, um, uh, false nostalgia for times that I didn't live through, like the 60s <laughs> and 70s. And I, for whatever reason, I've just always been drawn to, you know, pop culture and, and art and things from the mm -hmm. late 60s, from the mid 70s and the early 80s. And, uh, you know, as mm -hmm. I get older, I'm realizing now even the late 80s and early 90s, which was a time that I actually lived through and have a real actual nostalgic connection to. But mm -hmm. I think I differ from um, people who are critical of, of aesthetic nostalgia in the sense that... <sighs> I understand that art is an ongoing story and yes. these aesthetics and influences are always going to be there and being reactionary towards them in any one moment is going to make that moment look so ridiculous uh, in <laughs> hindsight. Uh, it's going to make it look so reactionary and so of the time. And I think that's how, <laughs> how those aesthetics uh, become so corny in some cases. Uh, it's just pe people being re really reactionary to previous decades. Like you know, I I love punk and I love the 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 kind of punk ethos, but you can also look at punk as this direct reaction to uh, to the the cultural revolution in the '60s and uh, see how kind of teenage and ridiculous it is on its own and and sort of deserving of the same criticism that the punk movement threw at the hippies at that time it's just mm -hmm. I, I think i think being reactionary always ends up making art look uh extremely dated extremely quick my point that i'm coming around to is uh i think that i do try to synthesize um the 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 recent history of art and music into my mm -hmm. own music and mm -hmm. uh, and and acknowledge a lineage or acknowledge a legacy I'm sure the Memphis group has made it in there in, in some way or another. So how does Stevenson see the role of his music on our souls? I'm a little cautionary when it comes to 
using art as uh, as a kind of opiating thing. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, I do value escapism, and I think that uh, there's there's importance in kind of creating a, a a mental or emotional space to be able to freely move around and and feel comfortable in. And um, and I think mm-hmm. that my mu- my music and music like mine. Uh, mm-hmm. it does serve that purpose in that sense. And I think when it's done well, it does so in a, in a noble way and not just a, a cheesy kind of escapist way, even though I, that escapism is important to, yes. uh, to a limit. But I, I also delight in kind of trying to take these left turns within my own music where it becomes less balmy and soft out of nowhere. And it's a little more challenging and, uh, mm-hmm. and grating because that's part of learning and that's part of therapy too, or, or part of the, uh, the inner emotional experience of, of overcoming something or, uh, or confronting trauma or whatever. I'm not saying that I've mastered my own psychology in, in any such sense but uh i do think that there is a therapeutic aspect Mm -hmm. for me in creating music that way and i would hope that uh it it has a similar uh effect on anybody who cares to listen to it deeply enough yeah yeah you know it doesn't have to have the psychedelic label yeah there's something i think something is truly psychedelic when it can take you to both places and show Mm -hmm. you extreme light and extreme dark Mm -hmm. uh, and do so in a way that kind of pulls those things out of you Mm -hmm. It's funny, psych that's applied to music a lot. It's not just psychedelic, it's psychological. I like to think of my own music at its best as being psychological. In what way is it psychological? Well, maybe even to a fault. It's uh, it's fairly uh, cerebral and of the mind. I think just psychological in the sense that it, it can invoke sort of more fundamental or more primal things about a person that aren't accessible in their everyday functioning. Yeah. So thank you very much, Spencer, for being with us today. It was a great conversation. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I truly appreciate and thanks it. thanks to our listeners. We heard today, she will be, once we die, and that's the one, too bad, in that order, from Botany's 2020 album, End the Summertime Forever. We leave you with Harp Instead of Walking, from Botany's upcoming September 2021, still untitled album. Thanks for joining us. Please send us comments to podcast at palula.us. And don't forget to subscribe. Till next time.